0: Welcome to the Rookie Scale Podcast. We're here with episode one, and I'm your host, John Cepkevich. Joining me today is Sports Illustrated's Jeremy
1: Wu. What's going on, Jeremy? Hey, man. I'm uh, I'm honored to be uh, (laughs) guest number one. I actually didn't realize that's uh, definitely an honor. Uh, And I'm good, man. I've just been at the NCAA tournament a lot uh, in the last few weeks back and forth. Uh, between Chicago and Indy so it's busy Uh, but I've gotten to see a lot of basketball so it's been you know going from nothing for a whole year pretty much to you know games every day has been a nice change for sure.
0: Yeah man that's got to be refreshing I know everyone kind of in the space has been itching to get back in the gym and you know it was a lot of careful stepping for a long time but I'm glad that we're to a point that it's feasible to see some of these guys and evaluate them in person and uh, you know with you having spent all this time down in Indy and gotten to see these guys up close you know I thought no better person to bring on to you know talk through the NCAA tournament some of your takeaways and you know you're someone whose opinions I value because you're not going to get too hot or cold based on you know one game here one game there but I know you also do value actually seeing guys up close in person and not just scouting, you know, from what you see on TV, like there's inherent value and actually be in there. So figured we would just kind of go through uh, some guys that stuck out to you and kind of some more macro level 2021 draft uh, discussion and, uh, you know, just get this going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, on that note, like, I think it's pretty, it's it's a pretty quick, reminder, just walking in there and then realizing how much you can see, uh, even, you know, sometimes I had a good seat, sometimes I was a little bit higher up depending on the venue, you know, they're using different arenas, but right. um, you know, being, being able to see stuff and like let your eye kind of wander uh, without the camera. Uh, it, it's such a big difference. Um, and you, you know, you catch a lot of things uh, you can observe a lot better. Um, for sure. So you know, it's not like rocket science for me to say that, but it's uh, you know, again, from not doing it for a really long time to going back into games, uh, it was really, really nice just for my brain. So
0: yeah, and I'm sure also just yeah, I know it's probably not the same as usual, but even the like pre and post game kind of chatter and you know watching warm ups and getting some intel here and there, like that all kind of you know adds some value and gives you a better sense of the class. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but I, I figure a sensible place to start here is, you know, everyone kind of across the board has basically the same top five across almost any mainstream outlet that you see. Uh, you know, I don't think there's too, too much variance there, uh, regardless of whose board you're looking at. And I think that's fairly consistent across the NBA with some, some exceptions. Right. But then once you get to pick number six, Uh, it gets a little bit dicey, and it's sort of been that way throughout the course of the season, and there's been some shuffling here and there as far as who's in the mix for that, right? But coming into the NCAA tournament, a pretty significant cluster of the guys, you know, in that next sort of tier uh, were partaking in the NCAA tournament. It was kind of up for grabs, but, you know, at least watching from home, it seemed like nobody really took the reins and like seized ownership of kind of being the next guy after that, that top five, Uh, you have any sort of takeaways from like that next tier of guys and, you know, their performances at the tournament?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I, um, you know, as I left the arena uh, after the Michigan game last night, um, I texted people. I was just like, this was, you know, on the heels of uh, Franz Wagner having a, a rough game. Uh, just you know, No one really wants to be the number six pick, it feels like. Uh, that was one of the things for me going into the tournament. Uh, I was happy. Uh, this has been a good year in the tournament in the sense not only that, you know, you can see a lot of things at once, but also that uh, there are actually a lot of, uh, you know, lottery caliber, you know, top 20 type guys in the right. tournament, which has not always been the case. Um, so that was, you know, just like that. I was a little bit excited just from that perspective. Uh, but, you know, you get there and you see, you know, guys have been, uh, pretty up and down. I mean, if we can just kind of, you know, glance over the list for a second. I mean, I think you know the players you could put in that mix, uh, you know, Wagner, who I mentioned, um, you know, Scotty Barnes, uh, you know, a little bit up and down. I thought, um, you know, I saw Florida State a couple times, and uh, you know, he, I think, offensively, and this is our server reminder of how much you know, work he has to do. Um, you know, Keon Johnson, I. I think he, with him, it kind of dates back to the SEC tournament. You know, he was playing very well there. You know, a lot, a lot of rave reviews coming out of uh, Nashville at that event. Uh, and you know, they Tennessee goes out in the first round. So, and he was pretty good in that game. But you know, mm-hmm. again, still so you see the flaws. Uh, and then, you know, Moses Moody really didn't play well uh, for Arkansas, despite them making the Elite Eight. Uh, you know, I think he had one good game in there, but he, you know, was not overly. Um, the, the game against Texas Tech, I, I was there. I thought he was fairly good in that game. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it kind of just tailed off. Um. So, uh, there's that. And then, um, you know, James Booknight. You know, he, my, I thought he might have been a little bit banged up. Uh, so right. you know, with his elbow coming into the tournament, but you know, UConn went out in the first round. Uh, so I, I guess you know those guys probably coming in would have been the ones we were thinking about. In, in that context. And now I don't know if any of them really make me feel good. Not I don't know if they did before, but it the, you know, the, the non, you know, the non-inspiring nature of, of this conversation right now is kind of tells a story about kind of what we're looking at, uh, you know, between now and the draft as far as things have to kind of settle out.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, the pre-draft process itself, we've at least gotten some clarity as to, The timeline of things and that a combine you know is going to take place and we'll probably have some version of workouts it'll certainly be like a little bit different than a couple years ago but at least a little bit more of a sample size of the normal pre-draft stuff for these guys to maybe make some statements the next couple months and kind of you know see somebody elevate from that pack but you know to your point like kian was solid but you know, t- Tennessee was just kind of one of the more disappointing and consistent teams throughout the course of the season, right? And, uh, you know, so them losing to Oregon State in the first round, like it would have probably gone a long way to see them in a few more high-leverage games and see, you know, Keon and Jaden Springer, who we'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit later on this podcast. Uh, you know, I'm sure it would have been nice for you to see them up close in person multiple times as opposed to in one sort of ugly sloppy game against oregon state and uh you know moody like you said was over his last two games against oral roberts and baylor was six for 30 from the field oh for uh one for seven from three one to three assisted turnover like all these guys just had messy games franz's last game one for ten from the field missed some opportunities in the clutch it's you know it's just disappointing to see that but I think it kind of kind of keeps things interesting, right? Like it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how NBA teams sort of react to this and strategize and maneuver when the you know when the lottery susses itself out and things become more clear. Like if there's you know more rumored trade activity in that area, or if it's really team dependent and position dependent, and kind of pick your pick your flavor depending on how it falls out. Uh, how do you sort of anticipate the next couple months playing out here as far as the back half of the lottery goes?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I, I would guess, and I've talked to some people about this too, this may end up being a little bit more workout dependent uh, than some years in terms of there actually is opportunity for players to separate themselves in these settings now. You know, whether they should be or not is always you know worth asking, right? Sure. You know, it's a one day, but um, I think just from the standpoint of, you know, teams have not had uh, as many, if any, opportunities to, you know, see guys live. Um, and, you know, there's some guys who've been on the road, some haven't, you know, teams are still approaching this different ways. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of different team people at the tournament. There were GMs there, you know, I think people saw it as an opportunity to be efficient with time and travel. Um, but uh, again, it's, uh, I, I think, while broadly speaking, uh, you know, most of these guys, you know, teams don't feel like there's as much familiarity with the players and and, and it always is something that they value, um, you know, getting them into their facility and, uh, you know, being able to meet and work them out and sort of, you know, find out whatever you feel like you need to find out um, whatever the missing pieces are for your own uh, evaluation there. So. Uh, again, that's kind of green every year, but this year, just I think because there has been less live scouting, it, it naturally just with the way that our brains work and and whatnot, I think yeah. there will probably be a little bit more value placed on that. Uh, so, you know, we'll we'll see, and and that's always tough because you know we're not there in the and so it's uh, it's always hard to say. Um, but uh, I, I would guess between now and you know whenever they open up workouts and. I would assume there'll be some level of contact. You know, they were able to pull it off last year. It does seem like things are trending up towards the, just in the sense of like things are going to be able to happen uh, on schedule this year, barring you know, knock on wood. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it drags out. But there's, uh, you know, this is far from done. Uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting season, but there's uh, quite a bit left. I think in in this range of you know six to down to 14 or 15 or you know however many guys you like. Uh, which, you know, for some people, it's not that many. Um, but that's where the drop-off is. And if we're looking at the draft, like, you know, I'd guess whoever ends up picking six, whether, you know, say it's a team that drops down two spots of the lottery, like our top four yeah. or top three or whatever, like that, you know, you don't, I guarantee they try to trade back or up. So um, yeah. we kind of know where the, the point of uh, inflection is, I think, right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, once we even get past that, Initial cluster of guys that we just talked about that sort of disappointed. It kind of makes you wonder if, like, some of the other guys a little bit further down in that top fifteen-ish range might have a chance to kind of, uh, kind of overshoot what we initially thought their ceiling might have been, right? Like, you have, um, you know, guys like Jalen Johnson, who I guess you know at the beginning of the year was kind of thought to be in a similar mix to some of these top five guys, and then you know, left a little bit of a sour taste in people's mouth with, you know, how things kind of ended at Duke and, uh, you know, maybe just the disappointment in the NCAA tournament by some of his peers in this range kind of gives him a chance to, after some time has passed, kind of work himself back into the mix of that conversation for the sixth spot or somewhere in that general vicinity. Right. Cause he he's uh, just about as talented as anybody in this range. Uh, do you, see Jalen Johnson maybe having uh ample opportunity during the rest of this pre-draft process to kind of like you know rehab that little bit of uh uh like tainted impression and kind of right size it and maybe work his way back up toward the top of that next tier
1: yeah I mean he's gonna be uh you know a fascinating uh player to monitor from here uh you know I'm sure that you know whoever he ends up uh going with agent wise we'll have to you know do some work to kind of you know turn the image around a little bit from a a pr perspective um but yeah i mean if we're just looking at jalen as a player i mean you know you can kind of knock him in his various areas but in terms of just uh you know frame and skill and uh just like you know at some point it's like does this guy look like an nba player ends up being a factor sometimes and like he definitely uh, you know, looks the part, uh, he always has. And, uh, again, it's like, yeah, if you throw him in the group with the guys we just talked about, it's like, you know, he, he fits the, the box, the, the he checks the right boxes, you know, so to speak with, uh, you know, in those areas, uh, you know, he's big and pass, um, it, but yeah, you know, there's always gonna be questions about his heart. I think, um, you know, regardless of what happened at Duke, I think that those things would have been asked already anyway. Uh, yeah. you know, so I think the whole him leaving Duke thing was overblown a little bit. Um, right. you know, I try not to judge, uh, you know, it does kind of reinforce a pattern of decisions that he's made, uh, you know, in his very short career, uh, you know, but, um, I think definitely he's someone who teams will want to sit down with. Um, you know, he will have some work to do. Um, you know, it's like, if you're taking him or Scotty Barnes, like, who do you feel more comfortable with? Uh, you know, Scotty probably is the guy, you know, just for example, you know he's a good type of guy who at least you kind of feel secure in um in terms of what he's going to bring uh beyond you know just you know on the court so uh it, it'll be interesting but uh yeah i don't doubt the talent he has and um you know he had a weird year at duke too so it's, it's kind of hard to you know obsess over those numbers in negatively or positively it's you know it's a data point yeah um but yeah i mean i think you're right right on i think that's going to be one of the uh you know trickier uh, things for teams to decipher. It's going to come down to what you value. Like you know, for, again, for some teams, they might be able to cross them off uh, pretty easily. You know, if you're in a certain range, you say, uh, you know, maybe it's too risky, right? But you know, if you're a team that has time or you feel confident uh, in you know whatever culture you've established, uh, then yeah, I think it's something you have to think about.
0: Yeah, no, I d- definitely agree with all that, and you know, the kind of overarching theme of. Everything we've talked about so far has been uncertainty and risk with all of these guys. So then that that makes me naturally wonder, you know, does a guy like Corey Kispert, who has sort of vaulted up into the lottery discussion, does the sort of uh, consistency, reliability, kind of clear translatability of role and certainty with him and teams sort of, you know, feeling like they know what they're getting? seeing Gonzaga being one of the more dominant teams that uh, we've seen in college basketball history and him being obviously an integral part of that. And so consistent over his four years, you know, is it possible that maybe a team looks past the age and kind of lack of upside or perceived upside there and just feels solid and certain about what he brings to the table and maybe reaches a little bit higher than people are anticipating in the lottery?
1: Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, last year, Obi Toppin, be um, You know, it's like, at least there's precedent now for a team taking an older guy. You know, granted, they're very different players. The Toppen move has not been immediately helpful for the mix, but it's also, I think, sweet there. It's the mix. And Tibbs never really plays rookies. So you kind of have to think about it, you know, the whole yeah. scope of that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy. Would I do it? I don't know. Like, coming into the tournament, I would have been like, well, Moses Moody is, you know, three or four years younger than Kispert, uh, he's probably a better uh, bet than, you know, you watch Moody go out there and get exposed a little bit uh, in terms of what he does not do well. Uh, And you're like, well, at least Kispert is kind of closer to being good. You know, I I think that's a very interesting debate uh, that will probably be had. Um, You know, Kispert, what he does for them is so valuable just in terms of, uh, and it's, you know, what they're running is more similar to, uh, you know, what we see in the NBA than a lot of college teams run uh, where, you know, it's, multiple ball handlers, a lot of ball movement, uh, kind of playing through the middle, but not in the post, you know. Um, And uh, being able to park Kispert on one side and just kind of run stuff on the other side, and you can have him do small stuff, and uh, the other team has to worry about him, whether or not he shoots well. Uh, You know, in college, it's huge for Gonzaga, and it just opens up a lot for them. So, again, there's always uh, the bonus that you get from being on a winning team. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. Um, But I, I think he's probably, you know, we'll go in the lottery I, at this point he's done enough and uh, I wouldn't be yeah, able I wouldn't like bash someone for taking him either uh particularly with the way the other guys have have fared here
0: yeah no it's, it's really hard to argue aggressively against it right like everyone has their own sort of you know draft theories and like what they would do if in the GM chair right but like depending on your organization and where your direction is that you're heading and the culture you're trying to set like it, it's hard to blame someone for taking a stab at him maybe a little earlier than than a lot would originally think.
1: Um, uh, it's just very easy to see, um, you know, the transla- translatability of what he's, do- uh, he's done. Uh, and he has gotten a lot better. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, like one of the knocks on him uh, when he was younger was he wasn't a great passer. Like I think Mark Hughes said, you know spoke about that um, too. It's like, you know, he, there are passes he couldn't make and there's stuff he couldn't do when he got to Gonzaga. Uh, I didn't love him when he was a freshman. and But now – You know, I do think I've been thinking about this. Like, I think there probably is a lot of benefit, Uh, you know, playing with other good passers, I think, makes guys better passers. Um, Right. It's just, you know, whether whether it's cosmetic or not, I mean, you watch the way they move the ball. They're so unselfish. Uh, There is some contagious uh, element to it. Um, And, you know, guys, you already know how to do that. Uh, They don't have to learn to share. It's I think, something that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily ever going to show up in any concrete way but i i, I think is a you know truism like i kind of believe that so
0: yeah exactly like he might not be a dynamic passer but you know he's a good passer within the context of like what the team is trying to do right and i think that'll carry forward to the next level
1: mm-hmm.
0: so want to move on past kind of that sort of super uncertain cluster that, uh, we were just talking about there and, you know, start just getting your opinion on a variety of guys that you got the chance to see over your, over your time in indie there. So let's just, let's start at the top. So we can, I think we can skip Cade, uh, the Cade discourse is, uh, you know, can be a little bit exhausting. I think, uh, it's, you know, Cade is really good. I think we all can agree on that. There's, you know, some context that's tricky with, you know, how things were at Oklahoma state this year don't need to go too far into that. Right. But Mm -hmm. let's, let's focus on, you know, the next two guys that were in the tournament that are in this top, top five, right. Evan Mobley and Jalen Sugg. So I'll let you just take it away. What were your impressions of Mobley first?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, seeing what he's been able to do, um, You know, Evan is a player I had seen, you know, plenty of times uh, in high school. Uh, So, you know, you know, you know what he can do. But then this season, I think overall he's been, uh, you know, he definitely has exceeded my expectations just in terms of consistency. Uh, I think, you know, my personal theory was always that he was just a little bit bored uh, towards the end of his high school career. So now you you see him in a very competitive environment. Um, He's not always scoring, right? But he he's just, you know, does so many things. Well, uh, he projects to be able to do a lot of things. Well, uh, you know, watching USC kind of do what they were able to do was largely because of him in terms of making a run to the elite eight and like looking dominant as they did it, um, you know, defensively, uh, he enabled them to do so many different things, uh, you know, whether they were playing zone or man, you know, they can, you know, Get closer to shooters. They can close out a little bit harder. They can over pursue if they want on purpose. Uh, you know, knowing that you know you have that guy in the back, uh, you know, to protect the basket. And you know, it's remarkable to me how how good he is at not fouling. Um, especially as a 19 year old, it's like that to me is something that I keep coming back to. It's like that's you know he's just he's so advanced uh, as a shot blocker. Uh, I don't worry about his body type. You know, he's only 215 listed. Um, I think he a little bit, but. Uh, If you think about the way the NBA has played today, you know, very few teams are playing through the post anyway. Uh, You know, if you had to play, you know, face Jokic and you felt like, you know, Mobley couldn't body him, you can play Mobley with another big and have him help, right? He's, you know, long and mobile enough that you can play him at the four or the five. I think there's just so much to work with there. Um, You know, the, the biggest, I think, question that people will sort of come back to, this probably may or may not even matter in terms of where he gets drafted, but uh it's you know offensively uh for him to impact a game sometimes you got to force feed him because he won't assert himself i mean he, just, he just yeah. immediately doesn't necessarily do it he's, he's totally happy to not score and do the other stuff uh and you know pass and share the ball which he's quite good at um but there's obviously so much very clear ability uh and potential there offensively like you know everyone thinks he'll eventually shoot it uh he has you know good, pretty good mechanics pretty good touch uh in terms of just the way the ball comes out of his hand. Um, you know, you and I think it'll eventually quick for him, it seems like. Um, so yeah, I mean he doesn't have to be like a super superstar, but you know, he stacks up pretty well with uh, you know, the other elite big prospects that you know, maybe in the last five or six years. Uh he's probably the best, I would say, rim protector, um, uh, you know, freshman one and none rim protector since Anthony Davis, I would think I think it's fair to say. Uh so, you know, definitely I think he has uh, played his way into the conversation for number one at this point, like they're out, but I think if there was a pathway for him to do it, that's, this is probably it. And I think he showed a lot, uh, you know, for, for teams that might not have seen him do it enough. Uh, so that's not to say that that should or should not happen, but I do think it's a conversation and it's definitely happening. And for, for me, what I kind of came to is it's sort of more of a one, a one B than it is. Like Kane is like 5 billion times better than Ed and Mobley. You know, I think those guys are close. It's uh I think it's that kind of draft, which I think, uh, you know, at least teams will feel good about that too. And, you know, to a lesser extent, subs who we can hit on.
0: Yeah. I mean, you got to be thrilled if you end up in the top two. I I mean, Mobley, like like you said, uh, the passing has really stuck out a lot offensively. And, you know, surely if you do take him with a top two pick, like you are, you know, depending on your team situation, you might be banking on him to produce a little bit more on his own, than he's comfortable with at the moment, but I think there's plenty of time for him to get acclimated to that. And I think it's encouraging at the outset that he's as good of a passer as he is and unselfish as he is. Like I'd rather him sort of be, be that way and kind of able to play off of others and kind of be a complimentary offensive guy and elite defensive guy, and then kind of work upward from there on the offensive end, as far as his assertiveness and stuff. So I, I think that's all encouraging. And, you know, the weight thing that you brought up, you know, I I agree that the mobility and rim protection combination kind of negates any true worry there. And I, I don't think it's super surprising. Like the, some of these other upper echelon top five big man prospects, like you alluded to Anthony Davis before, you know, Anthony Davis has put on what 30 something pounds in the NBA. Yeah, and put, it's not, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's not to say that Mobley's, you know, frame is, maybe it's not as conducive to that. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But, like, I don't expect him to stay sort of as thin as he is. I'm sure he'll put on enough functional strength to be able to bang at least with a a higher percentage of the population of bigs that he'll eventually face. So, yeah, I mean, Mobley is, in most other drafts, would be a very, very clear and, you know, exciting number one, prospect by himself so anyone who ends up with him I'm sure will be thrilled
1: yeah and I think an interesting uh you know thing to remember there too is you know he was the number one prospect in his high school class for yeah a good chunk of high school um if I remember correctly I mean he lost it towards the end of his senior year uh and I was there the day that he more or less lost it uh and it was you know, at the hoop classic um and they played Hunter Dickinson in, in the Mata, and then the looked like he didn't really want to be there. Uh, for you know, maybe he's having a bad day. You know, we <laughs> luckily, I think what we've seen this year, I'm not worried about that. But uh, yeah. you know, sometimes again, it just points to sometimes one bad game or you know a bad week or two uh, in front of you know the national people who do the rankings uh, for better or worse can can also uh, you know hurt a guy's ranking. Um, you know, maybe towards the very end in a way that uh, you know people made maybe necessarily will not be remembered like that. But, you know, again, he was, you know, number one for a while. So, uh, you know, him, you know, being right there with Cade in terms of quality, it's not really news. Um, But it's it's good to see that he, you know, was able to, I think, answer those questions. So that's kind of my big takeaway. I feel pretty good with him.
0: Yeah. No, I'm right with you on that. Uh, And, you know, I think that him performing this way and kind of, kind of showing, that want and that desire and kind of alleviating some of those questions throughout the year will make his pre-draft process a little bit uh you know a little bit easier for him to not be just berated with those types of questions about like you know does he does he love basketball does he have the drive like i think he showed that in spades this year and uh you know just excited to see what's to come for him um and then the other name that you just brought up earlier is Jalen Suggs who I think at the beginning of the year was more so thought of as like uh, you know, mid to late lottery type guy, but pretty quickly kind of surged up into the top five, top three conversation. And uh, you know, it is pretty impressive to see a true freshman, you know, at the helm of one of the better teams in college basketball history and look so comfortable and so poised and so you know, like he belongs and he's running the show. So what, what, what was your impression? I know he struggled a little bit, you know, toward the beginning of the, of the tournament. Didn't necessarily show out to the extent that, you know, you would have liked, but he's been coming on a little bit. So what, what was your impression of seeing Suggs in person and kind of within the context of the juggernaut that is Gonzaga this year?
1: So Suggs was definitely one of the guys that I was probably most curious to see live, just because I, I didn't have as many opportunities to see him in high school as I did, uh, well, you know, many of the other, you know, more touted players. Uh, so I'll admit like coming into the year, I was a little bit lower on him. It was more just out of the sense of not knowing, um, you know, I'd seen him play at, you know, Steph Curry camp, but, you know, that's like a one or two day camp. It's not always helpful. Uh, I mean, I had seen him play when he was 15, uh, and was under armor, uh, in, with his team. So, uh, you know, for me, you know, getting to see him play twice, um, you know, in, in two weeks was really, really uh, nice. I think uh, I, I pretty much i am, am sold uh, more or less on what he is going to bring. Um, you know, he, the biggest thing that I think is easier to see live is just how focused he is. It's like really, really, uh, he's locked in. Um, you know, you can watch him in timeouts. You can watch him, you know, just consistently uh, you know, he, he's so um, mentally tough and, uh, you know, teams love that. And I, I, mean, I like that. And I think, um, you know, my question coming into the year was, you know, is this guy uh, more of like a Marcus Smart level guy where, you know, he's going to be really intrinsically valuable, maybe if the stats don't match in terms of efficiency or can he be more than that? And I think, you know, now I think he's probably going to be a little bit more than that. Um, just watching how good he is getting downhill uh, he can, you know, pass through small gaps. He can split gaps. He, he moves well in tight spaces. Protects the ball pretty well. Um, and uh, you know, he he gets to the rim so quickly uh, that the angle he takes matters less because his elevation is so good that he's you know he's right at the rim and he can just kind of like flip it up and, and drop it in. So he he gets a lot of those layups where he doesn't really use backboard because he's just kind of right you know, going to jump if he has space and then once he's at the rim, so. Uh, and you know, I think the other nice thing about him is how comfortable he is not having to dominate the game for Gonzaga. Like if we're talking about context, like right. I think it's a good sign that he has been able to blend in and also know when to take over. Uh, and you know, he's going to play really hard on both ends of the floor. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable with him at, at number three now, uh, you know, which is a question for me coming in. I'd seen green and coming plenty. Um, but it would be hard for me to say that you know, I'd rather have uh, those guys than Suggs off of what I've
0: seen. Yeah. Now that, that's kind of where I'm at too, at this point. Uh, and I know that's kind of consensus Cade, then Mobley, then Suggs, but that's, I think that that's just kind of bearing itself out. And, you know, it's hard for me to hard for me to like justify having it any other way than that at this point. I mean, I, I love Suggs, uh, The jump, like the jump shot, I guess I'd like to hear more about, uh, what you think of the jump shot. Cause obviously he's had spurts this year where he's had some pretty amazing performances from like a pull-up jumper perspective, hitting some difficult looks off the bounce with guys in his face, but then there's other times where it kind of, kind of comes and goes and fades and can be inconsistent here and there. What, what, what's your takeaway from the jumper having, you know, seen him a few times in person now?
1: Yeah, uh, well, he shot it well against USC, I think. And I think he shoots well enough, enough of the time that I'm not, like, deathly worried. Like, I don't think he's a non-shooter. And, again, he's he's so quick getting downhill that uh, some of the, you know, you can under him, but he still might be able to take advantage of it. Uh, I think, you know, that BYU game in the uh, conference tournament final, uh, where they basically dared him to shoot and he didn't shoot well. And then at the end of the game, he made a job. And I think that, you know, to me, was a good sign uh, that, you know, he was willing to keep shooting. Um, and look, I, he's not going to be, you know, a three-point uh, specialist, but, um, you know, there's enough ability there to think he'll improve. And, uh, you know, knowing uh, what type of, uh, you know, competitor he is, you know, you have to think he'll help put the work in to make that happen. So I'm, I'm not like, steward that's obviously not like going to be one of the first things you list in terms of why he's such a great prospect um, uh, but he doesn't have any real weaknesses and i think the shooting is more of like a question mark than like a red flag yeah you know, no, I agree. we were gonna I like
0: agree. yeah like he's, he's confident and adaptable and you know if he's not hitting, he can, he can figure out other ways to add value in, right. in any given game. Right. So, right. Because he's yeah, okay with not
1: scoring. Yeah. He's okay with not scoring if he doesn't have to, uh, he's okay, you know, sharing it. And if he's having a bad shooting night, he can do a lot of other stuff. Uh, and also, you know, bottom line, he can get you in a transition, uh, you know, defensively. Yeah. he's so quick also, you know, so there, there's a lot of other ways for him to be an efficient offensive player without having to shoot bottom threes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I think it's safe to say based on all that, the top three guys here feeling pretty good about, about them uh, and their NBA careers ahead. Uh, Let's go a little bit further down here into, uh, you know, mid to later first and talk through some of these guys that, you know, I, I guess once you get past that cluster of like the top 10 or 12, that people kind of feel like they know who's in that population, you start getting to some guys that, could slide up or down or have higher variance across different NBA teams boards and I think a guy with probably a pretty wide range uh from team to team and kind of like the mystery man of of this draft in some respects is Kai Jones uh from Texas. So, you know, Kai sophomore, you know, 6'11", pretty thin like 215 or so, long wingspan and a lot of a lot of allure, a lot of intrigue given his size and kind of the fluidity, the way he moves, some of the flashes with, you know, pull up jumpers, some of the face up flashes, like a kit, you know, rim protection, I think, you know, comes and goes and isn't as consistent as you'd like, but theoretically you would think that he should be able to protect the rim a little bit at the next level as well. Like there's, there's a lot of tools and a lot of sort of, intrigue and flashes there but you know it doesn't necessarily always bear itself out consistently statistically or anything of that nature right it's a I, he, I think he's this draft sort of first round upside play but there's there's certainly some risk involved What what's your impression of Kai having kind of seen him in person now seen kind of the frame and fluidity and size combo and like you know, where do you think he kind of is justifiable to take in the draft and, like, what kind of team situation would make sense for him?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I had not been able to see him. I mean, I saw him – I think Texas played in New York, um, like, the 2K or something uh, his freshman year last, last season. So yeah. I saw him then, and from then to now. Uh, definitely has gotten a little bit better. He's gotten a little bit stronger. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a player who, you know, I was pretty interested in, uh, as a freshman and then he didn't play a lot. And then, you know, this year I was, uh, unsure what I was going to get. Um, I do feel, you know, pretty, it's pretty clear now that, you know, he's the guy who was, you know, between him and Greg Brown, uh, you know, Kai is the best roster to Texas. I, I wasn't sure early. Um, you know, it took me a little bit of time to be, to be sure. Um, but, uh, I think for sure in the mind of the NBA uh too um you know has health himself um you know i've had people tell me they think he'll be a top eight top ten pick uh, which and then i've had people tell me yeah that's probably gonna happen but also like i hope we don't take him like or it wouldn't be me right so uh you know it's an interesting dichotomy there between like where he's probably gonna go and where people actually want to take him uh and usually when that's the case it's like you know <laughs> it tells you how complicated it is to uh you know make that assessment um but yeah like you said i mean the movement stuff with him has always been the biggest thing. Uh, and you know, the, the, his growth has been kind of steady. It hasn't been, there's never been a moment where it's like, Oh, Kai is now, you know, Giannis Jr. That's <laughs> probably not going to happen. But like, you know there's never been a moment where it's like, Oh, Kai is like the guy now. Um, so then it's, you're kind of saying, Hey, well, let's you know take him and see what happens. And, you know, maybe that happens in two years. Uh, you know, it needs to go to a team that can be patient with him. um, and, you know, there are teams who have, you know, got picks stocked up and can take a chance, right? There's, you know, a handful right. of teams like that who will probably pick in the top, you know, 10s of um, But, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who can really rise in workouts too. Um, so, yeah, I would say his range is pretty wide. Like, look, like if we had to, like, I don't know what the odds you could get, but if you had to, like, bet on a guy to go, like, number six, who was, like, a random guy who maybe wasn't picked that high or pegged that high, you know, a month ago, he would be an okay bet. Like, I don't think – Yeah totally crazy that it happens but he could also go like you know he could also go like 15th and I wouldn't be like surprised either um so yeah like you said I mean he's one guy who um you know you are gonna have to keep an eye on um it's it's hard to deny the things that he can do that most guys that big don't do um but he's also just you know kind of an idea right and if you it's kind of funny because you think about the idea of what he could be well it's like oh yeah maybe he'll be Evan Mobley in three years (laughs) right and then it's like well yeah these guys are, you know, he's a year older than Kai is older than Evan. Kai, I think Kai turns 21 this year. I want to say so. He's also a little bit older than your typical uh, project, uh, you know, big, which is something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, he'll be he'll be 21 in January. Right. Uh, right. So, but yeah, still a little like, older yeah. than uh than uh, someone who's 18 and a half right now or going to be 19 when they start their exactly, NBA career.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. No, I mean he's. I I like him. I gotta say I like him. I like him a good bit. I'm um, I'm intrigued for sure. There's just like there's a lot to work with there. But you're right. It's it's gonna be one of these guys that probably the first couple years, you know some some people that get antsy about you know read what's the redraft look like. You know what's the value been for these picks. He might not be able to contribute too much early and. It, it, you know they're different players obviously but if you you look at Jackson Hayes as kind of uh, a parallel from a few years ago same school gets picked kind of higher than anyone would have really thought earlier in the year sharp riser guy who's who's big and mobile like Kai Jones is kind of following in his footsteps as the intriguing Texas big man with movement skills and you know, Jackson Hayes, we haven't necessarily seen too much of that value bear out yet, but it's probably still too, too early to, you know, fully, you know, cash in that sort of uh, evaluation, right? So I think Kai Jones will take some time. But I think that, you know, there's a lot to be intrigued about. And I could totally, you know, justify taking him in the top 10. uh, In my opinion.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's definitely possible. And Yeah. It's again, it's got to keep in mind, bigs, they just develop at a different rate and it's sometimes it's like a switch flips and uh, you know, they're just something, something that's always kind of gets said a lot. And then you're like, Oh, is that the case or not? But then you kind of see it time and again, it's like, yeah, it's like super not linear in terms of when someone can become good. Um, So yeah. I mean, he's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. Definitely one to watch. Uh, Now let's move away from, you know, move away from kind of the clear lottery guys or clear you know clear top 15 ish type guys and get a little bit more into the late first early second I think I think you and I may have talked about this last year that sometimes it's really hard to distinguish between like clusters of guards that are in that late first early second round mix it seems like every year that kind of bears itself out that there's like four to five guys that are in a similar tier and it's, it's difficult to rank them. They're all kind of, you know, similar level prospects. So I've got a group of four guys that kind of fit that mold for this draft class. And uh, just curious to hear maybe how you would tier them and kind of who stands out to you of the group and you know, what your preference might be just on a you know macro level in this draft class. So Uh, The four names are Trey Mann, Jaden Springer, Deuce McBride, and Chris Duarte. Uh, I guess, you know, just with those four names, maybe we can start with Trey Mann. Kind of give your impression of, uh, you know, what you've seen from him this year. Obviously, last year was a bit of a mess, a little bit of a disappointment after being a super high caliber McDonald's All-American high school recruit to you know, now that's kind of, you know, bearing itself out and he's had, you know, a really good sophomore campaign and vaulted himself back up into first round discussion. So, you know, what are your impressions of Trey Mann? How do you see him translating to the next level?
1: Yeah, well, I'll preface this by saying uh, I was lucky uh, the first day I was at the tournament, which was the first day of the first round. uh, I got to see the man springer and McBride on the same day, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for like the sake of yeah. your brain, um, man, like, you know, he, he he's okay. I'm not going to say I'm like in love with his game just because he, he, the way he plays is so casual. And sometimes, again, sometimes guys are you know so good that they can kind of like coast a little bit and then turn it on. I'm not sure he's one of those guys where his impact is just so great that even when he's not really playing hard, like there's a positive effect. Um, you know, he's, it's not like he's an 18 year old. Uh, he's a little bit older now. So uh, there is definitely upside, you know, he's got the size. He moves really well. He can handle. Uh, I'm not, still not totally sure how good of a passer he is. I'm not sure if he's a really a one, you know, he's sort of, he's more of a combo. Doesn't shoot so well that you can always play him off the ball. Like he, he just, he just stands around off the ball. He hasn't figured out how to do that yet. I think he views himself as a, a guy who is going to have the ball. So, right. um, you know. I I think he probably will be a first-round pick. I don't know if he's the guy who I would take if it was like my team picking. Uh, I don't know if he's the guy who I would want, Um, but you know, if someone does take him in like you know 18, I'm not going to be like that's a stupid pick. Like I, he's he's talented enough that you can see why someone would do that.
0: Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I you know I tend to agree generally with that. Like he's shown some impressive stuff this year, but you know, if he's wanting to have the ball in his hands all the time, as opposed to like taking advantage of, you know, the theoretical sort of combo guard on off type guy that he could be, you know, that like steering into that would give him more avenues to succeed, more avenues to kind of contribute early on in his career, as opposed to like needing the ball in his hands all the time, right? Yeah, he theoretically could play next to you know, some sort of star level initiator and be a nice sort of off ball complimentary piece. Uh, it's just a matter of, does it, you know, does he want to do that? And, you know, is that in the cards for him? Right. Um, or
1: is he, you know, he, he could be that he's like a poor man's D'Angelo Russell, right. Where it's like, yeah, you know, I would use Russell Russell as an example. Um, cause I, you know, I, I would joke, uh, that year, um, I was like, well, no, if uh vine which was you know RIP vine uh i was like if, if vine didn't exist because like, there are all these vines of d'angelo making really cool passes and i was like without yeah. vine this guy would not be a top three pick um but if people you know focus on highlights and i'm like well you know trey is kind of in that same mold he's not as good as philo uh same age but uh you know that would be one to see i mean like of the guys we're talking about he could be the first one picked but he might have the yeah. fourth best career
0: yeah Man, I wasn't expecting Vine <laughs> to make an appearance on, on the yeah, first you know, podcast. That that was out of left field, caught me off guard.
1: Most people don't even know what we're talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, we that man, Vine was like when we when we were in I was in probably what sophomore year of college. Vine was yeah, Vine I was, was big.
1: Vine Vine drop, yeah.
0: Man. Wild <laughs> times. Wild times yeah. with Vine. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but okay. So that's Trey Man, I'm with you generally on that. Uh Jaden Springer. I know this is a guy that you, you and I have texted about a little bit. He's a bit of a um, bit of like a draft Twitter darling. Uh, someone who you'll see uh, some of the folks deep in the draft Twitter Twitter sphere kind of vaulting up into the almost the next kind of tier of guys right after that top five, like you in the lottery range. You know, given I think the argument is his age. Like he's so so young. Like probably maybe the youngest American prospect in this year's class. Uh, but, but I, from what I understand, you have like a little bit more hesitancy on him than maybe that, uh, side of the fence. Uh, you know, what, what is it that you see in Springer that could translate and maybe might not be as clean? Like what, what what do you see in Springer's game as far as, you know, what he brings to the table and maybe what might hinder him from, you know, being
1: a valuable NBA player? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with him, um, you know, positive and negative. Uh, And I think like you said, the age thing, it does matter. Um, You know, he's going to have time to, you know, figure some stuff out. Um, You know, he's he's got fairly good size. I think he's probably more like a functional 6'3 than the listed 6'5". But, um, you know, he uh, he is a pretty good defender uh, right now. And, uh, you know, he was you know, had a stretch of games where he was very effective this year, um, was not particularly consistent, did not end the season well. Um, and again, it's it's always tough, especially with guys who are that young, uh, going up a level now uh, in a weird year like this with COVID to be like, this guy is conclusively good or not good because of, you know, the, the 20 games you played. But um, yeah, I mean, I have a hard time with him. And I had a hard time with him in high school too. Uh, and I have talked to a lot of scouts who are, uh, you know, not sure what to make of him. Like some people don't think he's a first rounder at all yet. Um, you know, like I don't think he's going to go back. Like if I had to bet, he'd probably, he's probably gonna be in the draft, but, uh, yeah, I
0: think he, I think he may have even recently declared, you oh, know, JD, okay. been, agent intent. So I think, I think he's in. So, there you go.
1: okay. So I've been too deep in the woods with these tournament games. Uh, but, uh this is,
0: this is my, uh, this is my time of year, man. I, I thrive <laughs> on this stuff. I, I, I'm all over the early entrant, uh, hmm noise uh, always always a fun time right. of year it's and those things um, are getting ramped up
1: yeah well, well look i'll frame it like this like last year the youngest american prospect was patrick williams and even right four. uh but the reason that happened is because patrick williams had the body of a you know a 23 year old already and yeah and it's the Michael.
0: premier premier position mm-hmm. right the big the most important position, forward
1: yeah the big switching wing who can toggle right. between three positions you know two every position
0: yeah
1: uh you know does a lot of things well and there's room to grow. Now, Jaden is not that. He's not a very, you know, explosive athlete. Uh, you know, he's athletic, but not in the sense that he's going to, you know, blow by anyone or jump over them. You know, he's more of a, coordination yeah, he's like a two, thing with He's him. like
0: a two foot, like two um, foot leaper, too.
1: Yeah, which, you know, I, something I, ta- I harped on a long time ago and people have talked about it. And, um, you know, I, I think that's maybe not the issue. Like it's, it's part of the problem, but the bigger issue is probably is that he's not a very vertically explosive player. Uh, you know, you can jump off one or two feet, but you're not jumping very high. Uh, and the thing I always say is he doesn't get great separation. Uh, and part of it is because, uh, you know, when he attacks bodies, he's like, going to try to jump and bump you and then right. extend. But it's harder to do that against guys who are stronger than you uh, or, you know, have length or just our experience. Uh, and that's something that's going to be tough uh, going up a level. Um, but again, he managed to be pretty efficient on twos uh, yeah. this year, but he kind of shot, he just these like weird, but in between like eight, 10 footers that are you know
0: like the little push shots
1: yeah uh and you know i I don't think he's much of a playmaker i think a lot of it is just like i'm gonna drive and see who's open and you know he has good reactions and knows where guys are but it's not like he's uh really playing with you know you know with a ball screen and doing that type of thing he's gonna have to add that which you know he can do i think but uh you know bottom line it's like is there enough here to say that you know this guy should be a top you know 15 to 20 pick just projecting in two years and you know, I think that is open for debate, um, you know, to say nothing of, uh, you know, how strong I feel either way. Um, you know, I, am open to him as an idea, um, but I also didn't see enough. And, uh, you know, in terms of positives from him, like his good games to me were, you know, not really great. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm probably on the lower end. Um, and I can like live with it if he is better than that, but I also don't think I would be surprised if he ends up as like one of the, you know, five to 10 best players from this draft, just off of what I've seen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I feel you on that. And, you know, to some of the points earlier, I, you know, I certainly appreciate the aggressiveness sometimes, but, you know, there's only so many guys, even in the, in, in the NBA that can, you know, go up in the air without any real clear intent as to, where they're going with things and kind of make those last second skip passes. And every, like John Morant has made a living off that, but for most guys that at the NBA mm-hmm. level, like there's just, you know, too much, you know, too many arms, too many big guys in the paint. And if you're a six, three, six, four guard, that's to your point, not getting, you know, crazy elevation off the ground, you're going to get yourself in some tough, tough spots there. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and like real quick, like the other thing I'll say, Uh, that is a cautionary point for me too, is like, I fear that he's one of these guys who was just bigger, bigger at a young age. He was a big freshman. Uh, And, you know, sometimes guys who are really big at young ages develop these tendencies to, you know, play with their strength and not, not as much, uh, you know, developing the secondary finesse skills. Right. So it's like, I worry, um, you know, maybe he doesn't, you know, do figure out a better way to, to go into the paint, like the like Derrick Rose is a two foot leaper a lot of the time. Like he would jump stop and but Derek Rose is one of the most athletic point guards ever. Right. So uh you know it's that apples and oranges, right? If we're talking about you know yeah. aesthetically some similarities, but athletically it's totally different. So uh he's not gonna be that uh so so we'll see. Um but yeah he is interesting. Like if someone takes him in the first round, like my guess is that'll probably happen, but it'll probably be towards the, yeah. the middle to the end. Middle to the end. I don't know what he would do unless he like shoots amazingly in workouts to, to go in the lottery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, right right now it seems like the consensus, I think in my, you know, in my consensus rankings in my database, he's like right around, yeah, like late teens to 20, like 17 to 20 range. But, you know, it seems like the NBA might be, you know, more in like the low to mid 20s. Right. Um Mm -hmm. Moving on, let's let's move on to a guy that I I recently had the chance to sit down and uh, record a remote film room session with, and uh, you know, a guy that just you know just have totally loved almost every game that I've had gotten to see of him this year, and uh, the first half against Oklahoma State, especially in the Big Twelve tournament, uh, Deuce McBride, uh, sophomore at West Virginia, Um, he's kind of a guy that I feel like has vaulted himself up into this kind of cluster here is like a late first early second guy that probably probably deserves a guaranteed contract uh you know regardless of where that falls and uh you know just plays with so much energy and uh you know just really really aggressive but like can be c- controlled aggressive like I feel like he's you know not being overly aggressive to the point that it's hurting your team he's just like bringing it consistently and I think you know, it's kind of infectious to the rest of his team and can see that carrying forward to the next level. Uh, What did you think of Deuce McBride and kind of the limited sample you got to see him at the tournament?
1: Yeah, he was a guy, you know, I was watching that Oklahoma State game on the plane on my way to uh, Chicago. Uh, And so, you know, I I watched him enough this year, but he was another person I needed to see in person to kind of get a feel for his size. He's actually a little bit smaller than I thought, uh, but he has broad shoulders. So on TV, he kind of looks bigger um but it, you know he plays pretty pretty physically like I don't think it's a huge issue um know, yeah, I mean, he kind of I know he played football he kind of has a football body where he has skinny legs and like a big torso yeah um but yeah I mean I was really encouraged with what I saw uh you know he's a better player right now than Manon Springer. not I'm not saying better long-term prospects but in terms of just like right now if you had to drop him in an NBA game for like five minutes like he might not be bad he might he, I don't know if he'd be great but he'd probably not but he you know he might be able to do it or Trey Mann would be eaten alive so uh, no offense to Trey, but like, um, yeah. So I, I felt really good about what I saw from them. They were playing Morehead State, I think it was that game. So uh, yeah, it wasn't like he was you know playing Oklahoma State, but um, you know how hard he plays and uh, his ability to he he's really very good at stopping and you know slowing down into that shot. He he can yeah. change speeds quickly. I think that was the thing that I really saw live was just his ability to just like you know take one or two dribbles and just pull up, and that that's going to translate. He has to hit those shots. Um, and I worry a little bit about him scoring around the rim. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but he can be a really good mid-range shooter to help. So,
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of the main concern. And something that we ended up talking about in the film room was like the rim finishing, right? Like he he's a pretty good athlete, but it just doesn't necessarily manifest itself when he's getting to the rim. Sometimes he has a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, pull away and do these kind of swooping, uh, difficult, looks where his body's moving away from the rim as opposed to just going straight up and toward the contact uh you know and then maybe that's something that can improve but you know your point about the pull-up shooting like he he can really stop on a dime and elevate and he's uber confident even with guys in his face and can kind of get to his spots so you know obviously you know a lot of the NBA is layups threes getting to the free throw lines and the you know the mid-range can get forgotten from time to time but I, I just feel like it's so crucial to like you know, as his archetype of this combo guard to kind of have that in your bag, to be able to get to your spots and, and and hit those when the other options are taken away. And I think he's just really comfortable with that. And then just, you know, like we said, with the the energy and instincts defensively gives him, you know, a decent floor on that end to be able to get out there and get it, work his way into a rotation at some point in time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Uh, I, I came away feeling a lot better. Uh and then more just had a better feel for him as a guy uh than I did coming in.
0: So yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and then last is, you know, I guess a guy who's a little differentiated from the first three in that, you know, he's twenty-four years old, basically, right? Uh, but Chris Duarte, um, uh, you know, legitimately one of the best college basketball players in the country this year. Like just had an incredible season. Uh you know, a guy that was like a little bit on the radar last year, but not, not crazy on the radar. Like he was, you know, I didn't see him on a ton of boards or anything. He didn't really consider testing the waters uh, when I talked to him a little bit last year, but just it exploded this year. And, uh, I guess it's in a way it's kind of reminiscent of like Desmond Bain last year. Um, like I know Duarte's a little bit older, but kind of this guy that had shown some stuff previously as a junior and then just kind of the context changed a little bit and got some more opportunity as a senior and kind of showed a little bit more of what they could do with the ball in their hands so uh what do you think of Duarte he seems like a guy who is working himself into like the late first discussion it and kind of the idea being that uh he could kind of plug and play and add some value pretty early uh in his career since he's already you know 24 and like ready to rock and roll you know
1: yeah, you know, at this point, I'd be surprised if he didn't go in the first round. Because, um, yeah, again, it's like if you get a role player after 20, like, that's, you know, that's great. And I think yeah. if there are teams right now in the NBA who he could probably pick off the bench for, you know, at least. And I, what I keep saying, he's, yeah, he's 24, but at least he plays like he's, uh, or I guess he's 23, but he plays like he's 23, 24. Like, uh, you know, he, he's got the size, uh, you know, he's pretty broad in his shoulders, you know, defensively, he's a, you know, a really good team defender. He's smart, he knows when to take risks. Uh he shoots the ball so well, uh, plays with a lot of balance, uh which is pretty evident that when I saw him, it's uh, you know, he he gets square and he can square up pretty quick. Uh so uh yeah, I mean I think that's another pretty clean uh NBA projection and it's like, Yeah, he's old, but he's probably gonna be pretty good. And should Corey Kispert be taking like twenty picks before him? Like I don't know. Um, you know, cool Kispert's just you know, a little better prospect, but again, it's like when you, when you, when you put it like that, it's like, yeah, you should be a first round pick. Like if you're going to say Kispert is a lotto guy, then it's hard to be like, no, I don't want to okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no,
0: it, it, exactly. Like there's, I, I think that it's always interesting to kind of uh, do that sort of mental exercise sometimes and check yourself. Like when you're, you're creating your own board or thinking through a draft class, you know, on the whole, right. Like that's a, that's an interesting thought exercise, the Kispert versus Duarte. And then there's maybe other other areas in the draft where that's a good exercise too, to say, okay, like who's a, who's a guy that fits this certain archetype that I have in the mid firsts and who's someone that's in the fifties for me. Why is this guy so much higher than this guy? And sometimes it can make you kind of like reevaluate and kind of reconsider like what you value and what translates. But yeah, I think, you know, like you said, Duarte is pretty pretty clean NBA fit. I think he'll get picked in the late first round and, you know, be a contributor to a rotation pretty early, probably for a, probably for a playoff team, honestly, just the way that the, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that the picks are going to fall, like, it'll be interesting to see him uh, in a good situation off the bat. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of happy to have seen this sort of rise for him um, after not being super on the radar prior to this. So you know, gun to your head, Jeremy. Put those four guys in order. Uh, yeah, I know you haven't released a board or a mock in you know a few weeks here. So if you were to right now just order those guys from your personal preference, one through four, where where would you go with it?
1: Um, I mean, it, I guess it would depend on where I'm picking and who I am because it's not that much separating. But in terms of just like my aesthetic preference, yeah um i mean i tend to go i'm I'm a little bit against the grain with how i think about this but i'm not like caught up in age so much and and stuff like i kind of go off vibes (laughs) yeah so so, uh you know having seen all these guys i mean like i I honestly i like Duarte the best um i don't know if i'll end up ranking him higher because yeah i'm trying to be representative of what's going to happen sure um but but i would go duarte and then i think then i would go mcbride um and then I would spring her third. And I, I would I have man the lowest of those four for me. Um, just, and it's mostly just because of my general, like distaste for how he kind of like floats around. Uh, it's not yeah. because of talent. I just, it's one of my personal things, but, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? It's, it's, it's pretty tough. It's close.
0: Yeah. But no, I, mean, I get
1: that. Yeah. I get
0: that. Not like that stuff matters, right? There's going to, there's going to be teams that feel similarly to that. Uh, But yeah, I just thought that was an interesting sort of cluster of guys in the, you know, similar position, similar tier, uh, you know, that were all in the NCAA tournament and was interested to just hear your perspective. Uh, Before you get out of here, just want to do a kind of almost rapid fire round here on some of the guys that have been getting a lot of buzz as being, you know, risers from the tournament, which sometimes is just like a flawed concept in general like is there is there that much stock to be risen based on a game or two like you know maybe not to the extent that you see some of these overreactions but there is some value to it and like we were Mm -hmm. saying earlier like you know some of the first games people are being able to see in person it's high leverage situations. sometimes for some of these mid-major schools it's the best competition that they faced all year so it gives you a better gauge as to you know, what their projectability might be against bigger, stronger, better guys, right? So, uh, you know, I, I just want to run through a list of six guys and just get, you know, quick thoughts on, you know, where where you see them kind of falling within this draft class, whether you see them staying in or returning and kind of, uh, you know, what their theoretical value might be at the next level. So we'll start with the guy that's probably you know, the highest consensus player, um, you know, projected as a first rounder, but getting some more buzz up toward the lottery now, it seems it's uh, Davion Mitchell from Baylor.
1: Yeah, I I really like Davion. Um, You know, the question is, where would you do it? Um, And I think that's what the debate's going to be. No one's going to be like, he's a bad player because he's not. Um, I think my big question is how much pick and roll can he play? Uh, I'd like to see him in a workout setting, do that. Um, and kind of just see you know what type of real point guard acumen he has because you know, Baylor is so good and they have so many good players that you know his duties are not like the same as an NBA backup guard um yeah, and uh you know he's a little bit older. uh we're not sure if the shooting is gonna totally you know be like this forever, but yeah, uh, without question, he's helped himself, you know, you know he's gonna play really hard, you know he's gonna defend the ball uh and you know even if he's more of like a third guard who you want to play with like a you know a bigger playmaker still really good. So, you know, definitely got to feel positive.
0: Yeah. I think there's just a really high floor with him. I I mean, the shooting is obvious, obviously where that could fall apart, right? Like he, uh, you know, prior to prior to the season, he was only a 28% shooter in his season at Arkansas, 32% uh, in his first year at Baylor. And now all of a sudden it's vaulting up to 45%. And, you know, that's encouraging with the volume going up as well. But throughout the course of his whole career, he's been, you know, kind of mid 60s from the free throw line, too. So, you know, is is it a blip on the radar or, or has he sort of found something and fixed something? I guess we'll see. But he's been, I think, pretty impressive in some of the explosive burst off the bounce in the tournament that he's shown as well. And, you know, the passing, like you said, like he's in a good context for the passing, averaging five plus assists per game uh, has been impressive. But um, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, just a high floor, pretty pretty generally safe bet and a guy who's definitely helped himself quite a bit this season. And next we've got, you know, same conference, uh, another, uh, another all Big 12 guard in Austin Reeves and, and you know, another transfer uh, into the Big 12 from elsewhere that has kind of uh, vaulted his stock this season.
1: Yeah, um, I was there when they played Gonzaga. He was really good in that game. Uh, I still think he's probably better on a two-way than on a guaranteed deal, uh, just because, yeah. you know, of his, his age and the body type or whatever. But, uh, you know, I was impressed, uh, you know, seeing him play really well, using ball screens. You know, if he is kind of like a big, you know, bench combo, uh, I, I think he can do – I think, you know, he he state. Wichita State. Uh, he won't yeah. have to do as much playing in the NBA. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I do think now he's a guy who should get a real look. Um, pretty good. I mean, chance he gets drafted. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with that. It's still, you know, kind of early, but, uh, definitely someone who I was impressed with.
0: Yeah. I don't have a good, a great sense for him. He's a guy that I need to dig in on a little bit more, I think still. Um, but someone I would have loved to have seen in like a Portsmouth setting to kind of get a little bit more mm-hmm. of a gauge for, but unfortunately that's not going to happen, but, For him, it's kind of the opposite story with the shooting stuff to Davion, right? Where when he was at Wichita State, he was, you know, gunning at, you know, 45-ish percent over two years and, uh, you know, near 80% from the line and then transferred. And it's kind of gone, gone downward, uh, at least from three-point range since then. So you know it be interesting to see if he can kind of pull that back together and you know have that complement the playmaking and kind of versatility that it brings to the table with a more consistent jumper but yeah i agree for for me right now like seems like a guy in the two way mix but i got to dig in a little bit more and and see what's up there uh next is Quentin Grimes so uh your sort of top top 10 recruit Things go awry at Kansas, but he's just kind of revived his career here in Houston. It's, it's been a pretty fun story to see and, uh, exciting to see him kind of bring himself back into prospect relevance after, you know, seemingly falling off after his freshman season. So uh, what have you taken away from Grimes in Houston?
1: Yeah, I'm happy for him. First of all, um, yeah. you know, he's, he's, you know, not a lot of guys successfully make that pivot. He did a really good job uh, of doing it. Um, this is one of the advantages of being able to transfer and play right away. You know, people kind of hate on that, but some guys it helps. Uh, guys yeah. Help. Uh, I think he'll probably end up on a two way. Uh, you know, he shoots it well, well enough. You know, he defends decent, you know, he's got a you know, pretty good frame. He's not super big, but he, you know, he's like an off ball too. Yeah. Um, but he's had a really good year. And I think you know, the off court stuff will help him. And, Um again he was a good shooter or he was regarded as a good shooter in high school and he's starting to shoot enough that you know I don't think it it doesn't look great in terms of like convincingness, but you know the the numbers are there at the end of the day. So yeah. Uh definitely, you know, going to the final four, good for him, uh good for them, his draft stock and um, you know, I'm still sort of making up my mind, but yeah, I would guess he he, he'll end up on a two way two way as well. Man, I I love watching Houston. They're 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 just so enjoyable
0: to watch. I I like him. I like Giroux. Uh, Those guys are just fun. The way they play is fun. It's just a really good, good program they've got there. And like you said, you know, that being able to transfer there and play immediately just was so valuable for him. So I'm happy to see that sort of coming to fruition and for him to be back in the mix. Uh, Next three guys, I'll just throw them all to you at once because these are the guys that really were not on the process, prospect radar much at all prior to the tournament weren't included in many mocks boards, anything like that, but, you know, have a couple big games and, you know, forces people to kind of go back and maybe look, look back at their tape during the regular season and maybe do some more due diligence than they would have otherwise had they not popped off in the tournament. And the three names are Max Acemas, Buddy Bayheim and Johnny Juzang. Uh, any quick thoughts on those guys and sort of whether, they are in any way, shape, or form legitimate prospects for this draft class or more so guys that we might be seeing kind of in 2022?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just – I'll go quick. I mean, like, I think, um, you know, Ace Miss is pretty legitimately interesting. Um, I I watched him earlier in the season uh, because they they played Oklahoma State in the the first game. So, yeah, uh, I've had my eye on him. Um, I wasn't really sure what to make of it. Uh, You know, he definitely has some things going for him with the shooting. He's quick. He can turn the corner. I'm not sure exactly how good of a passer he is. I need to watch more. Uh, yeah, I can't say I would like want him in the first round, but uh, you know we'll see. I mean, again, he, it would be smart for him to test, and if he gets any helium, you know, this is probably, you know, I don't know if it's gonna get any better than this. Like, you know, right. Steph Curry went back to Davidson, but that was sort of a really different situation. You know, yeah, and, um, it's interesting. I mean, he's not very big, uh, but the stuff he does do is, is pretty real in terms of if it is good, it can translate. Uh, and then, uh, you know, buddy, I'm not super high on like. I was at the game when they lost uh, to Houston and, you know, Giroud just kind of took him out of the game. Yeah. Um, I am curious to see him in a different setting. Like I would like to see him play, you know, like at Portsmouth or in the combine or whatever it ends up being that type of thing. But uh, I just, yeah, I'd like to see him playing in a true, you know, re- shooting role where, you know, he doesn't have to be the best player and he can kind of hit shots. Cause I know, we know he can shoot. And yeah, uh, again, it just goes back to the whole thing. Duncan Robinson has made a lot of guys, a lot of money and uh, you know, buddy will at least get a look. So we'll see. Um, yeah,
0: and yeah, it'd be good to see him not in a not in a two-three zone right. and actually yeah, see him yeah. defending in space and everything like that, right? Yeah.
1: It'll either be good or it won't be good. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then you know, Juzang. Uh, happy for him too, yeah. is Another example of why the transferring mm-hmm. can be helpful. Uh, I, I honestly like don't have a great sense of how I feel. And uh, the first thing you know, he doesn't have a great like basketball frame. Yeah. Um, but he's always been able to really shoot it. Uh I you know, I think again he probably should test. Uh, but you know, he's another guy who I could see coming back um and getting drafted. Um, but you know, again, it's just being relevant helps and he's relevant right now.
0: Yeah. No, I think your point about Ace Miss that that sort of rings true from you know, something that every year there are sometimes some guys that, you know, whether it's uh truly warranted or not, or just a flash in the pan. Sometimes you need to like capitalize off of the momentum that you have as a prospect, because going back to school, you can end up, you know, taking on risk of injury and just the age curve naturally gets held against you sometimes, right? So for Acemas, if he gets enough, you know, enough momentum going here, it might make sense for him to just keep himself in the mix and, and see what happens and start, you know, your pro earnings a year earlier and just get that going, right?
1: right yeah totally so yeah we'll see what happens i never like to comment too much on like what i think i should do because it's their decision it's not mine i don't know them yeah like, yeah like, just more more uh, of like a objective, point yeah. Yeah, yeah so we'll see it's, it's gonna be interesting uh it's been an interesting tournament and i think um you know the final four should be fun and if we get baylor gonzaga i i'm excited to see davion mitchell and suggs kind of guard each other so well I'm assuming that happens i mean we'll see. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of prospects in one game. That'd be, Mm -hmm. that'd be really fun for everyone. And again, yeah, it's just one game, but a lot to be taken away from that. If we do get the kind of two Titans colliding, like everyone sort of thought that they might. So, uh, definitely excited to see how the final four plays out. And, you know, I guess we're going to just continue to have early entrance rolling in here the next couple of weeks and, you know, certain things about the class will become more clear and just, uh excited for draft season here i'm sure we'll be uh staying in touch throughout and you know looking forward to you know just getting into pre-draft and getting things going so thank you jeremy for joining and being the first guest here on the rookie scale podcast uh you know wouldn't have it any other way appreciate your time appreciate yeah, my your insight pleasure. uh you know, good to get the perspective of someone who is actually there seeing some live basketball because there haven't been too many of us able to do too much of that. So appreciate you, Jeremy, and thanks again for joining.
1: Of course, man. I'll I'll talk to you soon. And uh, yeah, you know, I feel fortunate, you know, to have been able to go to these games and, you know, hopefully we get, you know, normal attendance back uh, for next season. So, Uh,
0: By the time everyone's listening to this, I should – knock on wood fingers crossed have my first dose of the vaccine so headed in, headed in the right direction here getting getting pretty pumped
1: yeah totally I'm, i think they just opened it up in illinois so i'm gonna see But
0: <laughs> it's our time man yeah. it's our time in illinois
1: yeah
0: all right jeremy i'll talk to you later man all right man i'll catch you see ya.